what we do here is go back, 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 back. On this commercial break, we were brought to you by Salon 77, which is Diana Bloom. Welcome back to another edition of the Raider Take Podcast. I am Michael McDonald. Joining me, as always, is Andy McDonald. And back again, 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 Mel Dreamy joining us. Very excited to have you on. Glad you are able to become such a recurring guest for us. Dan, how are you doing before Andy gets into the rundown? I'm doing great. I'm just happy you guys asked me back. (laughs) He's pandering. I'll, I'll say that for a second. Um, but Dan, it is great to have you. We we love to have you. The people love to have you, just so you know. And I think that might not feel good now, but later when you lay your head on the pillow, I think it might feel a little bit differently. So we're excited. I feel great, by the way, Micah, as I just jumped on your ability to ask me that. But I feel good. Um, we're at the pinnacle of we have, we have football, but we don't have football, um, and it's an interesting time where it gets us by, gets us through, but we're really excited for um, week one, and um, but at least we have some things to talk about. So we're going to break down um, week one of the preseason. Um, I know that there were some things that um, went well for us. Um, I know there's, we ended up winning the game, and, and the folks here and, and throughout have, have a lot of positive things to say, but... Um, as we should, we'll find some areas of opportunity to improve. And then we're going to move into really what's as, as far as the, the time comes of the season where we have to assess, hey, we're set at certain positions. Um, other positions need to be refined, and which is good for us. There is competition and some reason to debate who's kind of going to win those battles, um, which are, are important to each positioning grouping and things like that. And then lastly, as always, we um, newly, as always, we will kick off uh, Mount Rushmore that I will unveil later, um, and and we'll go from there. So let's start with Week One um, preseason recap. I I was able to watch some of it. Um, Dan, I did do some research a little bit and dive into um, some of the clips, but you did call me and and tell me your thoughts and, and had some perspective. So I'd love to hear what your takeaways were from the first game of preseason week Week One. Um, Raiders against Seahawks. Raiders ended up winning twenty to seven. Um, what were your takeaways from our first performance at Allegiant Stadium? Well, I streamed it, and um, I did not record it. I wish I would have watched it again, knowing that would be coming on speaking of it again. A couple takeaways I had was, one, I thought the secondary looked great. Besides that one you know, missed coverage play where they scored a touchdown on, secondary just looked comfortable. They looked like they were always in position. And overall, with the defense, I felt like Gus Bradley's scheme was excellent. We didn't, we pressured a lot. We got one sack that I remember, but uh, we gave up three sacks, I believe, on offense. All in all, I thought the defense looked good. I, I just looking at the scheme, not the players, you know, the players were down on the depth chart and they were playing, but I believe Gus Bradley's scheme looked pretty good. Another thought I had was, too, towards the end of the second half, Cleveland Farrell's Farrell, he's still playing. And I was like, oh, that's kind of telling that playing this deep in this game. With three preseason games, I thought that, well, we'll see our starters, but we didn't. I guess point number three I'd make is I'm glad that Nathan Peterman is our third quarterback because he looks like he could run the team and, and move the ball for us. Some third-string quarterbacks – like, oh, we got no chance. But with Peter Moon, I felt like this guy could do something if he was ever thrown into a game. So those are my thoughts. If you don't mind, um, I, I do want to ask kind of because I think they're super important. And, and when you say it, I'm like, oh, I get what you're saying. But, like, explain the importance around Klee still being out there in the second quarter and also the importance, which what level of importance is is, you know, you can take into consideration, but having someone like Peterman who knows the offense, like what does that mean to you and why should we feel like optimism there? Well, first with uh, Klee, it seems like the guys that are playing this first game of the preseason are uh, 
fighting for a job. I don't believe Klee is fighting for a job. I believe he'll be there. Maybe they moved him inside, outside, and they're just letting him get reps. Maybe they arrest him next to him. I don't know what their plan is with him. But at near the halftime, when you don't recognize a whole lot of names out there, but you see a fourth overall pick three years into a stint or whatever it is, you're like, oh, that's interesting. Weird to see him there at that point. With Peterman, you know, third string quarterbacks, sometimes you're, you know, Gruden won't even keep a third quarterback, but he loves Peterman. We know that. He's been talking about him for years, but the way he went out there and slung it and and threw, what was it, 29 for 39 for 276 yards, whatever it was, he had total control of that offense. And, you know, and he's throwing against, you know, their second or third teamers with our second or third teamers, but he was moving the ball. And um, I feel confident if he was called upon that we could at least compete. Yeah, I, I think that's that's great. And, and it's super important because it's easy to look at the week one as, as I do too, right? Where it's like, hey, this is a dress rehearsal. Like these guys are going to get out there for a couple snaps. When you call me, you're like, hey, this, this is actually important because there's a lot of things that we've heard of of how the roster is going to shape. And especially on the defensive side, we don't know where guys are going to fall. But like you said, we have fourth overall picks playing until late second quarter. That tells you how the defense or at least the coaches look at these guys. And so, um, and then with Peterman, it's like, he has, he's someone who he's thrown against. Yeah. He's thrown against their first series of defenders, which is the first team, but also second, third and fourth. And he has complete control, but as we dive into only the rumors, which a lot of the fans do, right. Of can we trade Mariota? If we have that confidence in Peterman to execute the offense, that's going to make our ability to trade Mariota and actually get the most value from him than anything compared to like, like you mentioned, like having a third string guy that we're like, I don't even know if we're going to keep this guy. So good stuff. Micah thoughts on the game from your perspective. Yeah. I just, thought that the defense looked really good. They looked like they were flying around, um, making tackles. And it just was like kind of refreshing seeing like, okay, they like throughout the whole game, the scheme looked good. Um, the players looked good. I think one of the biggest things I noticed was that like they were actually tackling people in the open field and not like missing tackles. I think uh, Javin Davis, is that the dude out of, is that a Cal? No, not out of Cal. Dan, help me out on this one. Javin White out of UNLV. UNLV, that's what it was. Sorry. Anyways, yes, um, he had he led the team in tackles, and five out of his six were solo tackles. Um, but you know, Hobbs coming off the end, getting that sack. People were just flying around the ball, and like to see Hobbs and Mo Rig out there just as rookies, just flying around. I, it was very encouraging. I'm not trying to like get too overhyped on one preseason game. But it just felt different, you know. I don't know what it was. Offensive side, like you guys said, uh, you know, Peterman was out there just swinging it and running the offense. And me and you talked about it, Dan, a little bit, like you said. But it's just like having that comfortability throughout your whole depth chart of quarterbacks of like you made a comment saying having Mariota as our second quarterback feels like you can still go out and win a game. And now having Peterman after the way he played in there is like you can still go out there and run an offense and, you know, maybe salvage a game or, or, you know, keep a lead, whatever it is type of thing. So I don't know. I excited. I've been, you know, we juice ourselves up every year during the off season going into this. It's the first preseason game. Let's see how things pan out. Got the Rams this weekend on Saturday, but I don't know. I was excited. I'm always excited for Raider football and they just, you know, there wasn't anything that led me to believe otherwise on my excitement in general. So. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's, um, once again, if, if you set your expectations with it's just week one football, but you actually examine the things that are real, then I think it's fair. So I, I, I to, to both of your guys' points where you saw that our defense was set, they were aligned, they knew their responsibilities, and that was from the starters um, all the way through, um, you know, the third or fourth string guys where they knew it, knew where they were supposed to be. They knew that they had to do this or do that or add pressure here. So I think that's great because it's a resounding feeling and theme for, for each positioning grouping on, on each side. And, and so you take it for what it is, but on the offensive side, yeah, sure. We had second or third string guys, but also John Gruden's calling the plays the whole time. So 
when we're in those tough situations of third down and we're able to get out of those and we're able to convert third downs into first downs, then I think you should look at that and say, we do have a plan. We do have these things um, that are already embedded, even though he's it's second or third string guys executing this. So, um, and if you guys haven't figured out, you know, Meldrimi is actually very critical because he's the conduit of a lot of these thoughts and feelings and no pun intended as his work of choice is actually within the electrician field. So um, it's great to know that, see, see what I did there guys. It's, it's great to know that we, we all feel the same. And I think it's, it's easy to get hyped, but I think when you take a look at the energy on the defensive side for good reason, um, maybe we can be a little bit more optimistic about that side of the ball and, and also just have our optimism calculate a little bit. So that's great. And this is not something that was added on the uh, agenda. So apologies, fellas, before we move on. But did, did you guys get a chance to see what the uh, live scrimmage with the Rams were? As Mikey, you teed up a little bit with our second preseason game is coming up this weekend. Um, they, there actually was a, um, a scrimmage with the Rams where maybe it's a little homerism, um, but the Raiders did have the better end of that one. Did you guys have any, did you see it? Did you take away anything from that? Any, any thoughts or feelings? If you're, if you were on Twitter, a lot of it coming out was how uh, Hunter Renfro was just torching Jalen Ramsey. But yeah, it, it, it sounded by all accounts that it was just like, you know, all positivity was going the Raiders way. You know, Derek Carr was throwing touchdowns and Matt Stafford was throwing interceptions and, you know, a, a little fight broke out too. But I mean, really, the majority of what I saw of it was just all the things that flame up on Twitter about what's going on and people doing this, people doing that. But all was good news uh, from Raiders camp, from what I saw as far as how their scrimmage has been going. So I saw the highlights from today, and I saw the uh, press conferences with uh, Derek Carr and Hunter Renfro, Quentin Jefferson. Sounded like everything went good. Um, sounds like defense is gelling really well. And uh, there was a good camaraderie. I saw highlights of Ngakwe uh, doing his thing, and uh, that just excited me and juiced me up. It's like, man, we're going to have a legitimate pass rush on both ends. Saw uh, Merrick get a pick, and sounded like um, they handled Aaron Donald well with the O-line. So I, I'm excited. If everything's sounding good, I don't think they're blowing smoke or anything. I just think that they're really confident in what they're doing right now. Yeah, I think that's why it's hard because we've – you know, kind of read this book before um, and been like, oh, I'm, I'm a little overham- or overhyped. And then it's just like underdone. But it's also like when you're actually looking for the certain things that we want to see and we're seeing them, it's like, are you sure? Are you sure that's fine? You know, well, maybe it's this or whatever, but I think it's it's cool. And and the one thing, and Dan, you mentioned this, but Morig um, getting a pick and he's been consistent through the reports of training camp to his performance on week one and also in this to where we're like, this is finally a guy who is a second round pick who was really first round value um, who we thought and is actually performing. It's like, usually you see the reports. It's like Darius Hayward Bay, not a big play, not some good catches. He ran super fast, but don't worry about him. And we're like, yeah, okay, he's fine. You know, it's like, we're actually seeing the results of these guys that we actually put stock into and they're actually, you know, they are performing. So, I think that's cool. Um, I, I, I saw the same thing with Renfro and, and Jalen. And I think that's a, you know, a, a good, good little bit and good little thing, but also like that's someone that's, that's Renfro who, you know, he's, he could fix your, uh, you know, it tomorrow and then also just burn Jalen Ramsey. So there's a lot of value in that guy. And um, I think he's going to just add to that depth of, of who we have with Zay Jones, who has been balling out as well. Um, and rugs and Edwards who we expect and obviously Waller and Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, what have you, right? So um, I think it's good. And I'm just going to, I'm going to, it's, it's August 18th, right? I, I keep doing the days. I'm going to be optimistic right now. Don't bet on Andy after the first week because I'll have a lot of negative things to say. But for now, I, I'm just going to take the good, guys. Right. And who knows what that's in August. So yes, exactly. That's the hashtag. I think James Franco should play Hunter Renfro in a movie. <laughs> I think that would play, certainly. You know, Franco's versatile. So is Renfro, you know, he can adapt. There's a lot of good things there. That's also why we have Mel Dreamy here. <laughs> we're, we're just, we're just generating his confidence. And that's another electrician pun generator, but um, <laughs> so let's, let's move on then. Um, so we have, as I mentioned, this is the time of the year where it's like, okay, cool. We have our roster set. The depth chart was released as far as how the coaches look at it. 
Dan did mention, hey, this is it is what it is. I think it's more so just to put it out there with how they see. And so let's just take it for that. But there are some key areas which may not seem significant, but on Sundays, I think they will be. So I'm going to start with something that was a little more prevalent in week one. And this is the third down running back, um, not third down, third running back um, with Jacobs, with um, Kenyon Drake in the mix. We know those guys are going to be the bulk of the touches, um, but also the running back is a position that has a lot of injury history. Um, a lot of it's a, it's a bruising position. So the depth there, the um, definition there is, is important. So um, we had Trey Raggis um, and BJ Emmons, who I'm just going to say hand up. I didn't even know those guys were on our team. Um, so, <laughs> right there with you. It, it's, it sounds like they did well. And then also Jalen Richard, who's a household name, but who had the COVID stuff, came back and then got injured. So that I think adds to the, the story a little bit, but just for some context, as I mentioned with you fellows, Ragus went for um, 32 rushes, 62 yards in a tug, um, and then Emmons got in the game, nine carries, 42 yards in a tug as well. Um, Jalen Richard is hurt, so he has kind of that that against him, but also the veteran presence and the system presence. So, um, Micah, I'm going to start with you. Who edges who out? And, and, and this is more of a prediction than anything that there's a lot of things that are going to be said, but who do you think has the edge and who do you think ultimately will win this job? Well, I will say that it's hard to it's hard to really bet against the incumbent in Jalen Richard, especially when we've seen him, you know, produce in games in the regular season and everything. I wouldn't be surprised if Regis found himself um, as our third running back. Now, we are very used to these random trying to make the roster third running backs just going off a la George Atkinson, the third. Um, and just, you know, these guys that are like, this guy is Chris, Chris Warren. Yes. Chris Warren as well. This guy's it. We find, we got it, you know, and we've um, Josh Jacobs are running back obviously, but it's like, we were always in a time frame of like, who's the next guy. Are we going to find a star somewhere? And it's like preseason, the Raiders always have a running back. That's just going to ball out. But I like what we saw from Regis, and I think that if anybody were to get over the hump on Jalen Richard, it would be him. Richard's obviously, like you said, got that vet presence. He's got return game, special teams type stuff. But I could see Regis uh, sticking around. Um, he he showed a lot of good things in there. Got in for a tug. So um, out of anybody, I see him him making it. Great, um, Dan. Thoughts on this running back competition? I would think that Richard would uh, edge those guys out only because he's so different than what the other two are and Jacobs and uh, Drake are. You know, we had Bo Scarborough, but he's gone already. That was a name that we all knew. But Richard is that quick, scatty, you know, that can make people miss on a third down. Um, not a power back, but a juker so much. My prediction would be if Rashard did fall out of favor with the staff, we would get a guy off of uh, the free agent trash heap before we got Emmons or Ragus, just my opinion. Yeah, I think that's both are both are great points. And we all don't know, right? Um, I think what you have to look at is is the, the decision that Gruden has to make. And, and then you have to take into context with, okay, we have Jacobs, who's this, like Dan was saying, right? Have Jacobs, have Drake. What do we need that's different, but that's also reliable? So, and and to me, that that comes into like blitz pickup, right? That comes into who can do the dirty work and the other things. Not to say that Jacobs or Drake can't do that, but who can offer something a little bit different that can also do the things that I care about. Um, and so, I know he in his press conference mentioned a couple things that Regis and Emmons did to bolster that, and it was specifically focused around picking up blitzes and. I'm sure everyone's like, okay, who cares? Like, you know, whatever, here are the stats. But I think to your point, Dan, it's like, what can you offer that's different that complements this? And if you can't do that and you also can't do what I require of you, I can find someone on the waiver wire. And and it's also a great problem to have where you have these, you have Jacobs, who's your guy, your bell cow, and then you also have Kenyon Drake. But as we've mentioned, Drake is going to offer more versatility that is outside of the running back position that, if anything, you need a little bit more support up there. So I know that was basically a hundred different ways to look at it, but that's, I think, maybe what 
could make the decision a little bit differently. So because of that, I'm going BJ Emmons. Um, I think he's just going to win the job. <laughs> he picked up some blitzes and, and and he offers some things. And I don't know about Richard. I, 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 I do know that like, I would feel more confident if he's the guy, but ultimately um, I'm just picking someone to support who you guys didn't pick. So, so all good. Um, <laughs> but uh Let's go to the um, the next category. So um, this is uh, slot corner, and it, it, it's important, right? It's like we have our boundary guys, which is Hayward um, and which is uh, Trayvon Mullen. So um, we have those guys. I think what I believe is is we've ruled out our net because I think our net is going to be placed into these things, and and don't take it as take it as the base, take it as the Tanner Muse um, experiment. So. Our slot corner, we have Nate Hobbs, who, as Micah mentioned, showed out a little bit, um, and Nevin Lawson, who's, I believe, Micah's biggest foe as far as it relates to any Raider player. So, yeah, exactly. So, um, so we have Nate Hobbs <laughs> versus Nevin Lawson, um, and this is kind of similar where it's like, hey, we have someone who is a rookie that showed promise and has sh- had rave reviews um, in preseason um, versus a veteran who knows our system, but also does, he knows our team and Gus Bradley has a different system. So Dan, I will start with you um, as the facilitator of this Nate Hobbs versus Nevin Lawson out, you know, with kicking out Mullen Hayward and Arnett, where do you think that the Raiders go for their depth chart? Well, Nate Hobbs was drafted while Gus Bradley was there. Gus Bradley inherited Nevin Lawson. So I think that makes a difference in decision-making. I will say Nevin Lawson looked pretty dang decent in this game that I saw, and so did uh, Nixon. Those guys looked good. I think he's a slot guy, isn't he, Nixon? Yeah, um, Keyshawn Nixon. Yeah, I think. He's both, yeah, but yeah, he has been used that way. Played on the outside a lot last year, but. I, I'll be honest with you. If Nate Hobbs had not made that sack, I couldn't tell you who had a better game, but because I thought they all played well. So after one week, I, I really can't tell. But if I had to pick somebody and put a bet on it, I would go with Hobbs just because Gus Burley had part of that decision-making in that draft. So uh, before we get to you, Micah, Dan, I'm going to ask you this real quick. Based on where you started as far as like, hey, uh, Gus Bradley chose Hobbs and inherited Lawson as a coach, how far do you look at that, right? If you, if you, if you value like, hey, this is – I have – my taste on this a little bit, but also you, you review the film, like how, how far do you measure that to make your decision and end up going with what really is best for the team? Well, if I'm a coach, I'm just going to say who's playing the best, you know? Yeah. This guy was already here. I had a say and we picked him because I liked him, but you know, day to day, who's making the plays. It, It doesn't go very far, but it does have a little bit of impact. That's fair. I mean, it's, it seems right. Uh, also, you know, just the years of Raider coaching knowledge, I, I just wanted to figure out how they would look at it. So, Micah, what say you, um, Nate Hobbs, Nevin Lawson? And this this is probably the biggest layup of all time. Um, but if you could actually remove your emotions for a second, how would you look at these two? It's hard to remove my emotions, I will say. I Everyone knows the biggest big critic on, on Lawson last year. But I feel like from day one, um, since OTAs and going into training camp. All we've been hearing about when it comes to the DBs, for the most part, is how much Nate Hobbs is impressing, how much he's doing in practice, and you know that he's catching the eye of everybody, and then he goes out here in this first game. And you know it, it might be a lot of shock value with the, the sack that he had, the way he blew up Geno Smith, a la Khalil Mack. Um, but I think that he's true, like he's going to come in and win this battle, partly because of like what Dan said. It was, you know, essentially a choice from Gus Bradley. I think he's out there and I think he's hungry, not to say Lawson's not, but I think that I've been hearing so much about how much Hobbs is showing out and showing up in practice OTA, when OTAs were going on, when, you know, as soon as training camp started, all that stuff. It's hard for me not to look at that, taking all bias outside of things. I've heard more good things about Hobbs and seen more good things about Hobbs than I have Lawson. So, so would you say you subscribe to the viral spiral? This is very much a viral spiral. <laughs> it's easy, and, and also comes it comes with the foundation of, of you just don't like Lawson. So I think it's okay to call it what it is, you know. But yeah, I, I, yeah, that's 
If it was like the heart, the heart wants what the heart wants, Micah. If so this don't. was a if this was a choice between law between uh, Hobbs and Amik Robinson, I would say there wouldn't be any bias of like I don't like that guy. But I would still say like all I've heard about is good things from Hobbs and like nothing about the other guy. So I don't know. I was when we did a like kind of like a dive into the draft picks and we were talking about different guys and I had Hobbs and was kind of diving into him a little bit. Like you get pumped on these guys as you're like researching them and stuff like that. And then to come out and hear that he's you know doing well and he's impressing um, out there on the practice field. It's just it's hard not to not to back it. So this is this isn't a no shame podcast. I'll tell you that I, I'm just viewing it as how we have release the depth chart and how the coaches have looked at it with the the fact that Lawson is in consideration. Don't you think I want anyone but him? Absolutely. But <laughs> here's where we are. Um, and I'm going to trust that. So I, I, I too will back the fact that I think it, it should be Hobbs. Um, I, I think there's a lot of reasons to, to, to support that in a sense of like, Hey, it's like Dan mentioned, it's, it's your guy, just back him and, and give him, maybe he needs more reps than anything to develop to what he truly can be. Um, there's also that contract where you're dealing with loss and it's a year to year kind of thing. And maybe we can phase him out, what have you. Right. And then we have a meek and things like that. But if you truly compare the guys, um, I would just say like, Hey, who, who's the best guy right now? And, and we got to chart out, even if it's lost in for five weeks, right. Even if, if, even if that's the case, then we can have Hobbs. But if you want to go with my heart, I'm going to go with Hobbs. Mike, I got you. Don't worry. Always aligned. So let's move on to the last position that we're going to talk about. And that is we have our D tackle, Jonathan Hankins, um, who basically looks like um, a very tall mini fridge. Um, if you just looked at him from the side um, and he is our D tackle. Number one, we have our second D tackle who um, there's a lot of competition going between with Quentin Jefferson, Solomon Thomas, Darius Philon, who we drafted him. Thomas Jefferson were free agent acquisition. So, I will start. How about that? Change of pace. Um, I'll start and say, I think that this is Quentin Jefferson's job to lose um, right now. I think we brought him in and I don't necessarily want to chalk it up to money. I don't want to chalk it up to that necessarily, but I think he has performed um, at the at the peak of, of what we're looking for. Um, I think Thomas is in this kind of like transition period where it's like, is he a lean D end? Is he a true uh, D tackle in a sense of, or lean deander like actual d tackle kind of thing so i'm actually flipping those <laughs> you guys know what i'm saying but yeah, you're good. basically um i think that he has a lot of things that he has to figure out and kind of like what his true um position is and and i think that might benefit us um and with phil on i think he's he's some good you know i guess uh supporting and also good depth for for the team but i, I think it's quentin jefferson's job to lose so Micah, I'm going to kick it to you. Actually, no, I'm going to kick it back to Dan. Who do you think is the second D tackle next to Hankins between Jefferson, Thomas, and Darius Philon? I'm sorry, I was zoned out. Did you say Thomas Jefferson was our <laughs> D tackle? So Thomas Jefferson is actually back. So he was a president. The third he died. president of the, mm-hmm. of the United States is now playing D tackle for us. Yep, correct. And then he changed his name to Quentin. So his name is now Quentin Jefferson. He plays D tackle. Um, pretty stout in the run. Um, who do you think <laughs> of the three um, is going to fill that out? I agree with you with Jefferson. I mean, he showed out for the Bills in the last few years or whatever, and I think it's his job to lose as well. Solomon Thomas, if he's lean and they don't want lean, he'll be the easy easy one to get rid of. And if money's an issue because they want to keep other people at other positions, then They'll hold on to the rookie because he'll cost less. Uh, where does Gerald M- McCoy fit in here? So he, he does. Yes. Playing the one? Yeah, so I think – so my apologies because I'm the one that drafted up the agenda, but he plays with Hankins as the one, and they rotate, and it's mostly the guy on the opposite side. So compared to DT2, basically, that's kind of how we're viewing it as far as like there's going to be tech. a rotation. So, Yeah. How about I change the question a little bit, Dan, if you don't mind, is who do you think can do and best maximize their potential as uh, partnering with Hankins and or McCoy as DT2 for what our defense needs? I think it'll be Quentin Jefferson, 
and they'll hold the extra spot for Klee to get down there into the three because they're not going to get rid of him. Yeah, no, I that that was my answer with the two, and I I think the biggest part is that like everybody's learning a new system, everybody's on year zero. You don't necessarily look at like how did this guy do last year in the same scheme. It's like we can look at people and how they did throughout their career or whatnot, but everybody's learning a new system. Everybody's starting at ground zero together. And I think it is Jefferson's spot to lose because like you said, Solomon Thomas is kind of like, they're like back and forth on what he's going to be. You know, is he too big to be a DN too small to be a D tackle? Where's it going to be? Quentin Jefferson is the only one out of all of those guys that like fits that spot. It's what we brought him in for. There's not really a whole lot of question marks outside of like, are you going to perform? So I think it's his spot to lose. So let me ask this question then. Um, Cause I believe at least how I drum the question up and as well as how you guys are answering, um, we're talking about base defense. So true four, three, right. Um, let's talk about if we got into, you know, maybe a three, four, right. Maybe we just stretch things. Who are the best two interior tackles for a third down for a passing situation that truly we believe can can execute what we're we're off you know out to get to so um, i'm not gonna pick a guy you guys can just jump in so jefferson and furl why i just think that they'd get the most pressure i know solomon thomas probably could as well but are you going to keep them just for that third down when you have furl yeah down and distance matters right if it's third and three or third and nine but passing situation micah what say you yeah, well, Jefferson's whole thing throughout his career, like he hasn't necessarily lived up to the hype coming into the NFL, but his whole thing has been being able to get pressure, being able to somewhat collapse a pocket uh, in the middle and just kind of press the line. So I would agree with Dan. That's when you see Farrell kind of move in underneath and you have you know essentially three DNs rushing the quarterback on top of a defensive tackle who has shown that one of his skills is collapsing the pocket and just shoving alignment up and, and kind of putting pressure up on the quarterback in the middle. So thank you for dealing with my one-offs, but I think it was, it's a good conversation and I think there's, there's multiple levels that we can address. So now let's get into the big stuff. Um, we have Mount Rushmore, our last topic, and it's a Mount Rushmore of most basically frustrating decisions or tendencies or results by players individual players or individual coaches or the organization as it relates to the Raiders. So it seems very specific, seems very, hmm, I'm not sure where I can go there. What you'll realize is that there's also a lot of things that you haven't channeled in your brain and there will be channeled today. So what we're going to do is I'm going to start, okay, I put myself out there and then it's going to go Micah, Dan, but as you know, we do snake draft it's going to go me, Micah, Dan. Dan's going to go a second time, kick it back to Micah, to me, to where I get back-to-backs, and so on and so forth. So, boys, are we ready? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to say this that doesn't seem like it would frustrate most, but it frustrates me, is it's when Derek Carr claps for the snap because I'm already clapping, <laughs> but he's clapping <laughs> Cause he didn't get out of the huddle as fast as he should have. <laughs> and then now he's mad at someone else and I'm upset that he's upset that I'm upset. And that's what frustrates me is I'm like, I know you should have done, you know, whatever. There's a lot of accountability that spreads through, but I'm going to go number one. That's not really a one V one, but I'm going to say it is because it's for me, Micah back to you. It's a personal thing. It's a personal mm-hmm. thing. I'm, I'm going to, uh, my one V one is going to, my one V two is going to be, um, kind of bouncing off of, of something that Dan has brought in the up in the past is when Gruden just gives backs their series and they don't, it's not switch him in and out. So you could have had, you know, maybe uh, Jacobs go off on, you know, have a good series. And then all of a sudden Booker's in there and you're like, why the hell did you do that? Sorry. I'm sorry. That's one, one that that's so good. That's <laughs> it's like, you're right. You should ride the hot hand. And, and, you know, as, as Dan said, when he, did some predictions or whatnot with with Drake and, and everything. It's like mix it in there. You can mix up plays here and there, but like don't just go away from a guy. Don't just like take Jacobs out and give you know Booker a whole series or you know going into this year Drake a whole series and then just like 
kind of just let it meander there and not really get a thing going in the running game. So, Dan. All right, I'm going to go for the easy layup here. Um, it's on the organization, and we recently spoke about the draft, but we just saw Calvin Johnson inducted into the Hall of Fame. And how many times have we passed on future Hall of Famers for the uh, super high-risk, big reward? You know, it just made the organization look stupid. All of the times is the answer. All of the times, yes. I mean, we were talking about Cleveland Furl as a number four overall pick. Well, so was Charles Woodson. He's a Hall of Famer. So I think that's the kind of guy you're looking for with that number four pick. Devin Devin White drafted right after him. Actually, yeah. I, I retract my statement. That is 1-1, one, one, by the way. Sorry, Micah. I think <laughs> that's yours fine. is 1-1. One. That's okay. okay. Yeah, absolutely. Carry on, Dan. Set us up into round two. All right. That was the organization. Um, right now, I mean, like I said last time I was on, this is when I'm at my peak of excitement for the Raiders, and I don't think about a whole lot of uh, negativity because everything's on the up right now. But I'd say Trayvon Mullen or Arnett, when they finally break, you know, knock down a pass and they got to, like, wave it around like they do it every time, like, no, like, this is what I do. It's like, no, usually you get burned or you pass interference. But, hey, you knock down a pass. Good for you. We don't need to see you wave your arms around. Just – Get back in the huddle. That's fantastic. And that is the most Bob McDonald answer that I've ever heard because it's exactly how dad was. Doing. What the hell are you celebrating for? You you did your job. What are you doing? Holy smokes. Yeah, I have nothing else to say besides that's great. Um, Mikey, you're up next. Um, my second one is going to be not an individual person, but just the defense as a whole, their tendency to just give up touchdowns in the worst possible um, situation because they just always do that. They just always give up touchdowns. They just leave people wide open. You're kind of like Belichick where you're just like, <laughs> you just don't do your job. You know? yeah. like, I wish you would do your job more than you don't do your job. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's it's hard to really um, rein it in any better than just the defense giving up touchdowns when they shouldn't give up touchdowns. That's pretty good. You guys, <laughs> I, I'm, I feel like my back's against the wall right now. So I'm going to go with my, my second pick and this is, you know, I'll, I'll stay true. I'll stay true to me. And, and it drives me crazy that, and I'm not sure that he looks at it this way, but it seems this way from the execution side where it's third and six and Gruden calls a third and six play. <laughs> right to where it's like all the routes are six and a half to seven yards and i'm like you don't have to do that like just so you know you could call this go this 12 yard in and whatever right and it's like he's like i'll tell you what man this is gonna be good everyone's right where they need to be and then like someone's like well my route wasn't great and they break off and we're like a half yard short and he's like no let's bun it you know like that pisses me off where it's like expand your horizons for a second, sir. I'll stop talking because I will probably talk until um, you guys need to go to bed. So I'm going to say Gruden's down and distance play calling is it frustrates me. And then this is actually hilarious because, well, it may be funny, but it's funny because Dan, it's like the inverse of Dan where someone gets burnt on the secondary and they point and they're like, where were you? And then the other person's like, where were you? And they're like, yeah, it was me. You know, it's like when someone gets burnt for a touchdown, I guess it ties into both of you guys, but he's like, he gets burnt and he shouldn't have been there. And he's like, what happened? Where's the communication? The guy's like, no, that was actually your mess up. He's like, yeah, my, my fault for sure. That's like a blame game, a blame game. Type yeah. It's of like thing. a blame game. And then, and the guy is just like, yeah, I guess I shouldn't have got burnt, you know, cause I was just doing the incomplete and I'm still thinking about that from Dan. So going back to you, Micah. Yeah, mine is going to, um, and you guys can decide whether this is allowed or not. It's kind of falls under the same realm um, of kind of what Dan was talking about, but it's the umbrella of like that label of reaching on first round picks or just not feeling great about your first round picks and feeling like you never feel like you got to steal on something. You know what I mean? Like there's other times, there's times where people are like, yes, that was the correct pick at the correct time. No, you know, not too soon or, you know, oh, we got to steal with this guy falling here. I feel like there's so many times we just justify our first round picks and like talk ourselves into them almost. You know what I mean? It's just like you never feel there's never that feeling of like, 
hell yeah, we got that guy. I felt I felt that way when we got Josh Jacobs. To be honest with you, I I did feel that way. But like really, since like Mac, I feel like was the last time that, and you know, and then like when was it before that time? It's like we just feel like it's like all right, let me talk myself into why that was a good pick or the right pick. It's never it doesn't ever feel right. Well, I w- I would say that it's also I don't even know if I felt that way with Mac because of the media, you know. Um, so I think you take it twofold where it's like, what are people saying about this pick and what am I accustomed to feeling? And then also how do I actually truly look at it? So we truly felt like Mac was the right pick and it was a steal and thank God Sammy Watkins got picked at number four or whatever it was. Right. And also the media's like, Oh no, it's a reach. I don't know. Todd is a big reach about Buffalo, you know, whatever. And then, and then we're like, well, we'll see. But we're also accustomed to be like, we probably fucked up here. You know, so I think there's a lot of different things. And so, but also on the inverse, like the Patriots are like, Belichick knows what he's doing. Nikhil Harry makes a ton of sense, you know, so there's that. But um, sorry, I had to jump in like always. Dan, go ahead. Okay. Really drives me crazy. Sometimes it's our D-line's fault. Sometimes it's the ref's fault. But the freaking roughing the passer at the wrong times. You know, it's third and tw- third and twenty. They're showing a little, throwing a little short dump off pass. I felt I felt that one against Carl Nassib in this last preseason preseason game was garbage. But um, sometimes it's garbage, and sometimes it's like, what are you doing? Come on, man! No, the down and distance. Yeah, that's it. Especially, I think it's the down and distance where it's like it doesn't matter if you touch him, right? Like even if he throws up a prayer forty yards down the field, like it's a hope and a prayer. So, yeah. And it can be kind of a rough, it's, it's a rough thing to turn to toe around because I know that like we, a few years back, we went to a Browns game where, and I'm not sitting here being an ardent key defender, but like he had one that was just such trash against Baker Mayfield. And it's, it's such a weird, you made up but, for it though. Yeah. Fitzpatrick. And just yeah. Fitzpatrick. <laughs> yeah. As you're saying, Dan, it's like it always comes at the worst possible point. That game against the Browns, we went into overtime and we ended up winning. But like it was at a time where it was like down to the wire. We were going back and forth. It probably was one of those situations where it was third and 15 and they threw a 10-yard pass or something stupid. But kick it back to you for your number two, though. Your last one. This is number four. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll recap at the end. So, Dan, number four. All right, number four might not be a popular opinion of most, but it is of mine. It's on the organization, and they just recently uh, addressed that if you want to go to a game, you have to show your COVID card. Now, I think that's a total political move, and uh, it's just trying to appease whatever politics they are. I'm not telling you if I'm for it or against it, but just to jump into that boat of mandation like that it's uh it's like just stick to football just like the podcast just stick to football all right let's not get into politics yeah i i mean i've multiple times mentioned we are not a political podcast and i think you explained it well and i think the frustration i'm not going to speak for you dan but i think it comes back to where you could look at it as oh they're doing the right thing but i really think they're doing the right thing for themselves you know they're, they're doing the right thing to where they're going to drive the narrative and also benefit from it. So I can see that. I am also not saying which side I'm on either way, but I think it's a fair point and good usage, right? Like you have a mic, you have a a platform, good usage of your voice there. So Micah, follow that one up. Yeah, that's a tough one to follow. Um, I I would say my final one that I'm going to go with is um, feeling like Gruden has a tendency to like work away from people if they're not like, they're not performing right or you know what i mean like you have some drop balls and then he just doesn't target brian edwards for two and a half games straight or something stupid um i i don't know just it it feels that way that like someone messes up they almost get punished for it and they kind of just vie he vies away from that a little bit so um that's my number four that was i came up with four options and, and luckily i got all of them so well yeah it was it was a broad topic that we looked fixed at the moment but realized there was a lot of different ways we could go. Um, I will close it off with my last one, and I didn't even have this on my list, but it's more of a, more of a feeling, um, not to quote Boston or Kansas, but more than a feeling, Kansas? Boston. Okay. I mean, it, it was a little geographical location. I knew that. 
I think it's actually what I'm realizing is, is my inability to actually see good. This is like an organization. And then there's like a fourth layer of player, coach, organization, and fan. I, I have this, it frustrates me that I can't be excited about the Raiders. You know, like it frustrates me that I, I'll look at it and be like, yep, but not really, you know? So a lot of things that we've talked about today, um, it's a frustration that I'm never just going to be okay with this, maybe unless we win a Super Bowl, and that's just not not realistic and, and maybe a different view on life. But I also just, I'm like, I don't, I don't even see the good in the Raiders, even though they just went and tore up the Rams in a practice, which they took more seriously than a game, and that never happens. And now I feel this way. So I, it's more about my inability to be like, Mm-mm, they're going to fuck me over, you know? So apologies to everyone, maybe for the cussing, but also for how I presented, but also that's frustrating. That's frustrating for me because I don't ever think I'm going to see the good of these guys. So it's the definition of, you know, the it's the hope that'll kill you w- with the Raiders because it's just like you get yourself so hopeful every year and then even the last two years when we win you know six out of nine games and you're like all right this is the different year and then they just go and shit the bet it's like the hope with the raiders is what's going to kill you so you try not to get too hopeful i mean we're hopeful you know when we talk about hyping ourselves up we're hopeful but at the same time we're like hesitant with that so i agree with that i'm i i think more so where i'm going is like i don't know if i've ever experienced hope (laughs) <laughs> it's like i've manufactured it hope. don't act like 2016 wasn't hope until Carr broke his leg 2016 okay. was hope. so if that was the def- was the definition of hope i was driving on christmas eve to a church function outside of our church but a church function to praise jesus and i'm listening to the game on the radio and Derek Carr broke his leg and I was not very spiritual when I walked into that those doors. So that that was as much hope, hope as I had. Hope comes in all shapes and sizes, <laughs> and all broken sizes, Micah. Okay, and so I I, I want to find. I'm just turn over a new leaf. I just want to find some hope <laughs> in these guys. You know, that yeah. I'll, I'll end it with a fucking sorry, effing deep one, guys. Um. So any uh, do we have any? What is what is it called? Final words. Some, no, oh. no final words. Uh, oh, uh, honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Any honorable mentions that didn't get spoken of? Um, I have a few. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to go with <laughs> um, the D-line jumping off sides, even though they were clearly off sides and they just point at the O-lineman. Like, that's going <laughs> to determine it. It's like, yeah, you were super off sides. That's one of them. Josh Jacobs, just like always embracing contact because he's like, I'm about that life. And you're like, well, you maybe could have just like, R1 did, you know, outside and then got it six or four, 12 extra yards, you know, whatever. No, I think that was it. That was, that was the rest of my list. But I think that you get, I think there's a, a very, the Raiders have a very large spectrum of like, you were clearly in the wrong with the penalty you that happened, mm-hmm. but you're going to point at the other person, <laughs> no matter right. what it was, whether it's like a flag for PI and you're like, yeah, you totally just like grab the dude and pull him to the ground, but you're going to call mm-hmm. for offensive PI or like you said, D-line jumping off sides when it's clearly, you know, they're pointing at the O-line and stuff. So I think a big yeah. like Raiders committed a penalty, but they also point at the other team as if they mm-hmm. didn't just commit the penalty. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like, I think we we talked about it last week or a couple weeks ago, just the broadcasters, those things like that. Or I could just stay true to form and say Stuart Schweigert. Like just him being him. I'm just not a fan of him um, and, and why he was on the field. So Stuart Schweiger was Nevin Lawson 1.0. Really? He was way worse, man. He was way worse. But as far as like the, just as far as the hate is concerned, it's. I'm going to throw a race into this. I think you saw a white safety and wanted to believe in hope. And I, I was just like, I see for who you are, Stuart. And you are Stuart, you know. I'm still working on getting him on the podcast, so. Okay, well, I love you're, Stuart Schweiger. Are you going to bow? Are you going to bow? If you're listening, <laughs> no. I mean, I think Dan already <laughs> called it out. Like, I'll, I'll take my shots where I can. So, um, <laughs> I, I I have to be true to myself. So that's all I got, guys. Thank you so much. Um, this was fun. Raider Nation, as always, stand up. We are looking forward to week two of the preseason. Um, the Rams. We hope the game actually it doesn't even matter right but we'll still have content to talk about but hopefully the game goes as well as it does 
our scrimmage did today. So that's all we have, Dan. Thank you as always for joining. As you're, you're, you may not realize now, you're kind of like working yourself into like a regular and kind of like expected. And the fans are like, "Where's Dan?" And we're gonna be like, "Well, he's coming," you know. So the texts are gonna be more regular. The commitment level on your end is gonna be have to be a little bit more, you know, serious. So think about that um, as you lay your head down, and then also that you bring a great part to this. I don't have any more electrician references, or else I would throw it out there. But Raider Nation, stand up. We love you guys. Mike and Dan, this is great. Peace out. Thanks, guys. I feel like I'm on the practice squad. No, it, hey, you're see, more this than the is, practice squad. You don't even realize we're, what we were talking about with the third running back is we're actually talking about you. So, <laughs> um, so, so, do you think you can make the cut or not? You know, I don't know. It, it's you know, you truly can, bring something different. You do so. Well, I'll see if I can pick up those blitzes. All right, enough for that, Micah. Cue the music. If anyone knows, you can cue the music, Micah. We'll see you guys later. As always, we appreciate the love. Please share, subscribe, rate, review. Give us those five stars on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Go follow the Instagram page uh, at Raider Take Podcast. In the bio of the page, our Twitter page, at Take Raider as well. You can find where you can get all of our merch, our Raider Take Podcast merch. We have mouse pads. Mention the dog bandanas. I'm going to regret to inform everybody that the dog bandanas have been discontinued. And it is the worst possible thing. This is my last episode on the Raider Take <laughs> podcast, just so everyone knows. This is a big bomb drop right now. But uh, regardless, we appreciate the way that you guys support us. Um, please continue to do so. And uh, we are very excited to just dive into the season as it continues to move forward. So, Dan, appreciate you coming on. And we will see you all next week.